Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Well, November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and today we will get a good reminder about its deadly impact. Who better than a lung cancer patient to educate us a bit? We are joined today by Janet Freeman Daly, an aerospace systems engineer that found her way to becoming an advocate for the Lung Cancer Foundation of America after her own battle with the disease. Janet, welcome. Thanks for coming this morning. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. Uh, Like I said, it's Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and I guess we still need reminding lung cancer is, well, this is the cancer that kills more than the next three deadly cancers combined, right? That's true. And when most people tend to think of breast cancer as killing women and prostate cancer as killing men, um, actually lung cancer kills twice as many women as breast cancer. No kidding. See, this is, I'm glad you're here already. (laughs) In the first minute, we've learned something new. Um, yeah, that, that's crazy. How about a little background when I say lung cancer now? Is that um, defined the same way by everybody and every doctor, let alone every patient? There are many different types of lung cancer. And in fact, over the past five years or so, lung cancer for what we call non-small cell lung cancer is being increasingly divided into smaller and smaller slices of a pie based on what gene alteration is driving the cancer. So it's actually many types of cancer that all start in the lung. Wow. And that's pretty cool, actually, that science and medicine has been able to do that over the years by digging deeper and deeper into, I don't know, (laughs) molecular structures and genomes and things like that, right? Yeah. It's keeping me alive. Well, (laughs) great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's, I don't know, what was I going to ask about... um, it's numbers in America. I mean, how it's still, yeah, being the the biggest cancer killer, is, is it? It's not the ten? largest number that's diagnosed. Um, it's often the, the second most common diagnosed. It's just, it's quite fatal. The numbers are much better over the past few years now that we have some newer drugs called targeted therapies and immunotherapy. And the uh, survival rates are starting to get better. And so the... Um, how about, I want to throw this out right here up the beginning of this discussion, and maybe maybe it's ridiculous because I don't know anything about it. Vaping is now like almost at, you know, we hear these illnesses and deaths from it. Is that related to lung cancer and lung illness, or, does that have any, or do they know yet why these people Not are dying? Not specifically. Of- it appears that what's um, killing the people who are dying from vaping has to do with chemical burns in their lungs from the chemicals that are in the vaping. Oh, not a cancer, but it is... People. They're affecting their lungs in a horribly crazy way with right. vaping. Oh. Vaping has not been around long enough for us to have a direct tie for it to lung cancer, but it definitely has been tied to changes in the cells that line the airways. Yeah. The lungs, you know, this is something if you, who can remember biology and who knows how much of it you learned in high school. I mean, the lungs are a, a pretty sophisticated uh, organ, and there's just so much going on there that, yeah, linings of it and breaking really down cells at one at a time. There's, you know, most people are familiar with smoking as being the primary cause of lung cancer, and that's the one that we have the most evidence for. Yeah. But we also know that lung cancer is caused by radon, which is a naturally occurring gas that comes from uranium deep in the earth. We know it's caused by air pollution, exposure to hazardous materials, um, uh, arsenic in the air. Uh, like we used to have belched out of the 
Yeah. A smelter Sm in Tacoma. Yeah, smokestacks all over the country look like progress, but turns out it was killing us. You yeah. don't have to be a coal miner either to, to get lung cancer. Not just three-pack-a-day smokers and, like you say, the guys who worked in a smelter or a coal mine. And, in fact, it's, it's very prevalent in China because they burn smoky coal for heat, and that causes damage to the lungs. Wow. So you are, were never a smoker. Am I correct in that? That's right. So, But you had a lung cancer. How... I don't know if you want to tell your story, I yeah, mean, at so what age and how long, what kind of symptoms? I mean, this is what people think, well, he's got a smoker's cough, you know, and again, we mm -hmm. only think of lung cancer for some reason as a, a smoker's disease. Uh, but let's break down some of those myths, okay. with well, maybe with your own story, I guess. Okay. Um, I'm a good example of a case of anyone with lungs can get lung cancer. Um, I had a light cough, kind of, a <laughs> mm -hmm. and because my family was going on an international trip, I checked in with the doctor and asked if I could get something for the cough in case it got worse while I was out of the country. And he gave me an antibiotic. I took that, the cough got worse. On the way back on the plane, everybody got an upper respiratory infection and the, my family um, recovered in a week or two and I started coughing up blood. So I went back to the doctor, gave me more antibiotics, didn't help. And this is actually very common, especially with younger, never smokers, the doctors think, can't be lung cancer, so they, they give them something for asthma or pneumonia or whatever. Well, they finally did an x-ray and found a three-inch tumor in my lung. Um, turns out that I had stage 3A lung cancer. It had not yet spread outside my uh, chest, but it was in one lung and in between my lungs. Mm -hmm. So I had, uh, I was still considered curable, so I had concurrent chemo and radiation and the tumors they knew about started shrinking, and then a new popper, uh, tumor popped up on my collarbone. So I had more chemo followed by more radiation and immediately progressed again. And my doctor said I would be on chemo for the rest of my life, which would be short. Wow. Fortunately, I had been online with other cancer, lung cancer patients, and they had been telling me about a revolution happening in lung cancer where they were actually testing the tumor tissue to find out if it was the cancer was actually driven by a gene alteration. So I joined a clinical trial to test my tumor for 10 different genes. I didn't have any of them, which is why I had regular treatment. But um, right after I had my second progression, I happened to be visiting my nephew in Denver, and it occurred to me the people who'd done the testing were in Denver. So I emailed them and asked if I could just drop in and, and say, can I visit with you? and say thank you, and they said, sure. I got there and the head of the program came down to talk to me and he said, we're testing for two new genes. And I'd heard about a gene from another patient online that he said I was fairly likely to have it. I was relatively young, never smoker, adenocarcinoma, uh, negative for the other gene mutations. So I said, is it ROS1? And he said, yes, we have a test for the the gene fusion ROS1. I said, do you have any of my tissue left? He said, yes. They tested for it. I had um, a huge gene alteration in my tissue. It turned out they had just validated that test the month before. Until then, no one could get tested unless they were a patient in Boston at Massachusetts General Hospital. They had one slot left in a clinical trial for an oral cancer treatment, a targeted therapy called crizotinib for ROS1 cancer. I started that on November 6th, 2012, 
seven years ago today. And my very first scan, all my cancer was gone, and I've had no evidence of disease for seven years. That is awesome story, uh, Janet. Um, <laughs> good for you, but wow. So that makes me think of a whole bunch of different questions now I want to ask you. Uh, one being, as a patient, you seem to be much more into the specifics of knowing what is and isn't being tested and being learned. Uh, let's start with just John Q. Public, someone like me who just gets told in the doctor's office, well, you got lung cancer and you only got a few, you know, months or maybe a year or two to live, I go online too. I, I, it's like going back to school and all the, learning all these things. You must have a curiosity about you, maybe being an engineer type, uh, that make you not want to stop learning and stop learning more and more. It seems overwhelming. What, what are those stages uh, of learning from the beginning up through being involved in a trial and et cetera. I mean, it seems like overwhelming, is it, for well, everybody? It... Well, it was. I mean, when I was diagnosed, I didn't know anything about lung cancer. It wasn't even on my radar. And so I went online, and the first thing I did is looked at the statistics, which are in 2011 were pretty grim. Um, uh, the overall survival rate, five-year survival rate was five years. For people diagnosed with metastatic lung cancer, which was over half the patients, it was um, 4%. Um, versus 15% who made it for five years. Um, now it's it's going up because of these, this research. Um, I was a science geek to begin with, <laughs> and I love research, and I'm also a freelance writer. So that was the way that I had a sense of control over my disease. When, uh, when I've lost all other control, I started researching that's it. That's very human. We want some kind of control. And like I said, the overwhelming part is when you're just told something else about yourself that you feel you have no control of. So you did this research your own, at least you're... Well, I was fortunate to find an online um, patient community, and there are now many of them. And some of them are sponsored by the um, online, uh, or um, the lung cancer advocacy organizations. Um, and there's also many very informative websites, Lung Cancer Foundation of America, Longevity Foundation, GoTo Foundation for Lung Cancer, many others. These have lists of questions to ask your doctor, um, what should I know? And in fact, because it's so difficult to find this information, um, in partnership with Lung Cancer Foundation of America, I um, and other lung cancer patients are doing something that we call Hope With Answers, where one patient sits down with one lung cancer expert and we ask the questions that we have as patients. Beautiful. And that's now up on the Lung Cancer Foundation of America website. Okay, so let's talk about that again. So a, a patient can just ask those patient questions to a specialist, and what'd you call it? That's a HOPE series, right? It's called Hope With Answers. Hope With Answers, and the Lung Cancer Foundation of America sponsors this uh, on YouTube. Where is it? Where can we see um, some of these? They have them on YouTube. They also have them on their website, LCF America. LCFamerica.org, right? Yes. Lung Cancer Foundation of America, LCFamerica, that should be easy to remember, right? Mm -hmm. .org. Um, hope with answers. What, what's the, uh, now you started talking like Ross 1, et cetera. Is it over anybody's head? What if I've just gotten uh, a diagnosis? Will it overwhelm so, me too? Or is there like beginner step questions? We, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we were all in that position where we had no idea what we were doing at some point. So we've tailored it. So there's an introductory question like, okay, so what is um, testing, biomarker testing? 
And then there's an intermediate level that says, okay, so that gives you the information about how to have a conversation with your doctor about your case. And then the third level tends to get into the more expert level that geeks like me get into. <laughs> that, that's, that's actually a really good way to format that. Uh, how long has that been going on now? Um, we started it almost two years ago. Great, great. I hope that takes off because uh, here we are in Lung Cancer Awareness Month. That is something people should learn about, right? Yeah. Hope with Answers, a video series of questions and answers from lung cancer patients with their doctors. Or is it their doctor or is it just a specialist you find and they hook you up with or it, something? It's the key opinion leaders in the lung cancer community. So it's not just people paired with their own doctors. Although I was lucky enough to be able to do it with my doctor out of the University of Colorado for a couple of the sessions. Um, and we cover material like clinical trials. You know, what is a clinical trial? What do you need to know about it? Um, what are some of the things that are important and not a... Um, we talk about biomarker testing, which is when they look at all of the possible gene alterations that might be causing your lung cancer. And the reason they do that is because for specific gene alterations, there are now, I want to say, five gene alterations that have FDA-approved drugs that you can take that's a pill twice a day, no chemo, no radiation. Um, the downside is it's usually for metastatic lung cancer patients, it's not a cure, and eventually the patients will progress. But I'm an outlier. You know, seven years when I was given two, is I'll take it. Yeah. Well, well that, that makes me want to ask more questions about research. So the Lung Cancer Foundation of America does sponsor some research and give drug grants, et cetera, right? Yes. A and find... Uh, I don't know, some of the key people, this must be a community of researchers uh, and doctors doing that kind of work besides office doctors that, and uh, surgeons, et cetera. How do they decide, how do they find, uh, how big is this research uh, in, the, in the country? Is, there, is well, it giant or is it only a few people working in a few places doing lung cancer research? Um, so there are 30 uh, clinics designated as comprehensive cancer centers by the National Cancer Institute, and they tend to have researchers that are looking into particular cancers. Not every site does every cancer, so there are some that are focused on lung cancer. Uh, one of them is Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. Excellent. Um, in fact, they just recently got a grant from the NCI called ASPOR, which is a specialized program of research excellence, and I'm one of their patient advocates. Um, does research in cancer swap back and forth? I mean, is there a breakthrough in, I mean, that, you know, breast cancer or, or pancreatic cancer can share with lung cancer and they say, you know what, look at this, the way, and you talked about gene alteration. Mm -hmm. Is that something that we didn't know about before, but, it, or is that only specific to lung cancer research? Well, initially people thought the site of the cancer was the only thing that mattered. Right, right. So and we now, always called it lung cancer, but then when something metastasizes, it may show up somewhere else, right? And then they learned about these gene alterations, and they thought, well, everything's going to shift just to looking at the gene. But after they tested that a couple times, they discovered that, yes, the gene alteration is important, but also the tissue where it developed makes a difference because the tissue may react differently or have some additional issues that aren't covered by this drug. Um, so, for instance, the gene um, alteration I have called ROS1, we know of... 12 different types of cancer so far that express this. But so far, only my type of cancer actually gets tested by doctors. The others don't have, um, don't have the test covered mm. by insurance. So, so it's very important that if you are diagnosed with 
non-small cell lung cancer that you ask your doctor about biomarker testing. Biomarker testing. Yeah, this is a phrase, I mean, I'm old enough to remember. Well, before we even knew what those, I mean, that was not a common thing passed around, thrown around words like biomarker testing. It's not the sort of thing that shows up. research and, yeah. It doesn't show up on your science test in high school. No, it does not. <laughs> we are speaking with Janet Freeman Daly today with the Lung Cancer Foundation of America. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and that's why we're talking about it today. People need to continue to learn more about it because more is being learned about it. Let's talk about treatments over the years. And as I just talked, you know, uh, 50 years ago, uh, someone was given a diagnosis of lung cancer. They probably didn't have these names of different types of it and know how to treat it differently like you're saying they do now. That's actually um, started very recently the very first gene alteration um, for which there was actually a treatment was um, in a leukemia, and it was found around 2000. And then the first one for lung cancer for what they call EGFR, positive lung cancer, showed up a few years later. And what really broke it open was when a drug for, um, that worked for a gene alteration called ALK, A-L-K, um, which went into clinical trials around 2008. That drug got approved in the fastest time ever. I think it was three years from the time the trial started to the time the drug got approved, and things have just taken off since then. And then starting in 2015, we started having drugs called immunotherapies, which is a different kind of treatment. There are a lot of kinds of immunotherapy, but in lung cancer, um, what we're doing is putting the brakes on part of the immune system. Um, certain things can happen in the cells, so the immune system comes on a cancer cell and said, oh, that's, that one's okay, that looks like me, I'll ignore it. Ah. And what immunotherapy in lung cancer does is it takes off that those breaks so that the immune system can go after the lung cancer cells. That's fascinating. Um, man, that, that's really cool. This is why research has to continue, right? I mean, all yes. these kind of breakthroughs. What, is there any hints? Uh, I mean, if you look at some of these clinics and trials that are going on and research, any look at the future, the next corner to be rounded, or is it? Well, they're coming up with more and more of these targets. Um, another one that's happening, and some of this is happening at Fred Hutch, um, is looking into small cell lung cancer, which is by far the most deadly lung cancer and has been the hardest one to treat. And they are now um, looking at possibly using immunotherapies for that, but it's all still in research. Um, one of the researchers um, that's being funded by Lung Cancer Foundation of America at Fred Hutch is with a researcher named Alice Berger, and she's looking at, you might have heard the Women's Health Initiative um, that went for years when they were gathering data on women and what happened in their lives and, and what things they were taking, what they'd been exposed to, et cetera. And she's mining that database to see if there were never smokers that developed lung cancer and what might have been associated with it to see if she can find some new targets for treatment. Wow, so just plying through old data to, to find out what symptoms cause what or what may relate to others, is that's basic research, isn't it? The, yes. Just doing paperwork sometimes. Well, and then after they identify something with paperwork, they also have samples that these people have, have given, do, donated from specimens of blood or tissue, that they can then go analyze and see if they can figure out what's different in that person. Hmm. 
Hey, and I also kind of want to go, now we're talking about a patient, you know, one at a time. These are people, not just numbers, right? How does this diagnosis and then living with it, going through treatments that may or may not work, um, how debilitating can lung cancer be? I mean, you got to take a breath <laughs> every every few seconds, and we're talking our lungs, right? So and if we aren't as lucky as you, finding that, man, this one works for you, um, well, the, obviously the worst outcome is you could die. But even with the treatment, there are some side effects. Uh, for instance, uh, the first radiation treatment I had, which very effectively knocked out my tumor, also left me with a broken rib because it killed the bone. Hi. So, you know, there's there are side effects to treatments. That doesn't mean I'm saying don't use the treatment. I'm, I'm a big believer in risk analysis. If this treatment has a 30% chance of helping you versus dying, it's worth a shot. And do do ev- does every doctor? I mean, that then has a patient. So I'm still talking. I'm patient oriented here right now for a minute. Um, does every doctor know exactly what treatments are best? Where to guide this patient? Maybe for the next specialist, et cetera. Or has the country figured that out? Or, or is there are there I don't know lung cancer holes in our healthcare system around the country? Um, there are huge disparities mm. in lung cancer care. of patients are treated in the community setting, and those um, lung cancer treatments have been evolving so fast in the past few years. I mean, there's been more new drugs approved in the past couple years than in the past 50 that most doctors can't keep up. And a lot of people are not going to lung cancer specialists. They might be seeing their primary care doctor, or they might be seeing a general oncologist who doesn't have time to read up on everything that's happening on lung cancer. And that's why it's really important if you get a diagnosis of lung cancer to make sure that you're working with a lung cancer specialist or get a second opinion from a lung cancer specialist. They also, um, a, a surgeon who is a lung cancer specialist has the capability to do um, minimally invasive surgery in some cases that is uh, much less painful in long term and heals more quickly. So it's you can't be assured that just because you found a doctor who will treat your lung cancer, that they necessarily know the best treatment for you. Mm. And how about, um, is there peer-to-peer support? I mean, yes, we, we want to get our medical coverage, you know, care from a doctor. Uh, did you get any support? Is there, not just online, but can you find a local other people to say, I know what you're going through? Because, I mean, that is sometimes the most <laughs> helps you feel better is that you're sharing the burden, actually, emotionally, if you can find support that way. Does the Lung Cancer Foundation of America or are there other uh, cancer support groups that you can rely on? Um, There are the Lung Cancer, um, I'm sorry, Longevity Foundation and GoTo Foundation of America are the two largest, oh, I'm sorry, I'd say those two are the two largest that provide patient support where you call them and they can connect you with a lung cancer buddy or they can direct you to some place where you can go for more information. And then some organizations, more like Lung Cancer Foundation of America and Lung Cancer Research Foundation, are more focused on funding research but less on providing direct patient supports. Um, And again, there's the Hope with Answers program that you can go to. And there's also online communities um, on Facebook and on uh, several other sites where you can go to and talk to other patients. And it's an amazing comfort to be able to talk to somebody else who's going what you're going through especially if you've got metastatic or advanced lung cancer 
and you're not guaranteed of good outcomes, sometimes it's easier to talk to other patients about what you're experiencing than to put the burden on your family of saying, I'm worried I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a big subject we're talking this morning because it's Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, we're speaking with Janet Freeman Daly, and we're talking about the Lung Cancer Foundation of America. And I guess we're going to run out of time here, Janet. So I guess if, we, if there's something we've left out about either lung cancer or the Lung Cancer Foundation or some of these other great groups that you've, you've been mentioning, let's get it in there now because, uh, you know, I want to make sure people have the resources to talk about this with, with whom they need to. Okay, well, if I just do a quick wrap-up to say, yeah. um, if you are diagnosed with lung cancer, one, make sure you get a second opinion from a lung cancer specialist. Two, search online for sources that are vetted, that can provide you good medical information. Um, if you want, look for a patient support group so you can talk to other people. And it's, I'm sorry to say this, it makes a huge difference. If you are willing to be an engaged patient and advocate for yourself, there's research that proves your outcomes are better. Wow, say that again, that sounds really important. If you are willing, if you can be an advocate for yourself to learn about this and talk to your doctor, find out what questions to ask, learn about your situation, your outcomes will be better. Take hold of your own health care. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, that sounds really important, Janet. Gosh, thanks you so much for being here. We've learned so much today already. And I, again, I want to plug the Hope With Answers video series. That sounds like a really great tool, too, to just sit the, you can do that kind of casually to help you figure out what questions I should be asking my doctor. And if you have a light cough that's lasted for a few weeks, or if you have difficulty breathing on exercise, um, if you're coughing up blood, obviously, or if you've got um, some pain in, in the back or whatever, ask your doctor about getting tech checked for lung cancer. Yeah. And I, I didn't even touch on lung cancer screening. If you're in a high-risk group, find out if you should get lung cancer screening to find out if you might have lung cancer. Great. Awesome t- uh, point to, to say here as we finish. Thank you so much for coming in. We have been talking today with Janet Freeman Daly from the Lung Cancer Foundation of America this morning. Janet, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing with us about the importance of healthy lungs and, and mm-hmm. taking care of them. Well, thank you very much for having me. If you'd like to hear this interview again, it will be available on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts within a few days. Just search Spotlight with Gary Scheip. I am Gary Scheip. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community. This is Mandy Ringenberg with the Sunday Morning Shoutout. This week's shout-out goes to the Arthritis Foundation and their upcoming Jingle Bell Run and Walk. Get your jingle on at the most fun and festive holiday fun run around, all to battle the number one cause of disability. The Arthritis Foundation's Jingle Bell Run is the original festive race for charity bringing people from all walks of life together to champion arthritis research and resources. It's where you can strut your stuff in your favorite holiday costume and feel good about doing good. Together, we'll jingle all the way to a cure and have a fantastic time every step we take. Bring a team of friends, family, or coworkers to run out or walk. Get your jingle on and spread the spirit of yes. Yes to having fun and celebrating what you love. Yes to living life to the fullest. Yes to conquering arthritis for good. 100% of your registration fee and fundraising will go to a great cause. For 54 million Americans, a better quality of life is a hope and a dream. Simple everyday tasks can be difficult and painful for people with arthritis. 
and many people are not able to do what they love. Leading the fight for the arthritis community, the Arthritis Foundation helps conquer everyday battles through life-changing information and resources, access to optimal care, advancements in science, and community connections. Register for the 5 or 12K run and walk or kids run on their website at arthritis.org. That's arthritis.org. Just search under the Get Involved tab for the Jingle Bell Run and more great community events. 